You may be seated, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn them with me to Acts chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, um, just raise your hand, and I'll make sure that you are provided one very quickly. Does anybody need a Bible? One over here? Thank you so much. Acts chapter 3, and we're going to start verse 1, read through verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that you have not left us to our own devices to know you, to understand you to know your will and your desire for us. God, I pray that the word would be preached with power this morning, that your spirit would fill our pastor this morning, that you would guide him and teach him as he is teaching us. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would help us to understand the word and that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well, believing your word so much that we'll stake our very lives on it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning. Y'all doing okay this morning? Y'all sound dead. Good morning. All right. Okay. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. We are in the middle of a preaching series going through the book of Acts, just section by section, verse by verse, straight through the book of Acts. And here we are a few weeks into this series, and we are in chapter 3 of Acts. And this sermon, get a little, oh, did it fall down? All right, hold on. I can't fix it. 
Alright. Okay. Are we ready? There we go. Is that better? Alright. Sorry about that. Okay. Let me start over. Good morning. Alright. Good. Hey, it's good to see you here this morning. We are preaching through the book of Acts in a series called He Reigns, looking at the sovereignty of God and the gospel in this wonderful book called the book of Acts. It's really a helpful book. Obviously, any book of the Bible is helpful. But for a new church like us, um, launching out and, and starting up, it's great to look back at how the church, in general, the church began. And so to look at Acts and see the beginning of the church is so helpful to us. And this passage in particular that we've read, um, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 3, we began the sermon on this series, on this passage last week, and we looked at the wonder. This, there's two parts to this passage here. There's a wonder, there's a miracle that's done, and then there's the word that is preached. So there's this wonder, and we looked at that last week, and I made five observations about miracles in the book of Acts. And just to recap, those were, were this. Miracles and acts were special events and not everyday occurrences. We can tell that from this very passage. We also see that miracles and acts were generated by the sovereign hand of God, not by the fleeting will of man. We can't manufacture miracles. Okay, despite what some guys on TV might be doing, you can't make miracles happen, nor can you uh, just say the right combination of words or have the right amount of faith and force God to perform a miracle in your life. Number three. Uh, Acts, the miracles in Acts were done to confirm the fact that Jesus was continuing his ministry through the apostles, through the authority of the apostles. And Peter and John here are two of those apostles. Number four, we saw that, that miracles in Acts were done in order to bring attention to the glory, attention and glory to God alone. Remember Peter, he says, why are y'all staring at me? Like we did this, it's all about Jesus, it's all about God. And number, four, number five, the miracles were done were used to arouse awe and wonder, which we sang about this morning, awe and wonder amongst the people in order to make them receptive to God's word, which brings us to today, the word portion of this passage. And actually, this um, section of scripture continues well beyond what we read up to 16, because then Peter continues to preach, and then at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, he's interrupted by the rulers, and the rulers take uh, Peter and John and the man who had been healed before the authorities. And Peter just picks his sermon back up and just keeps on preaching about Jesus. And we see as we look at the whole section of Scripture here, the focus of this passage from chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through chapter 4, um, verse 31, the focus of that whole section is the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. And so... There's some key verses in this section that we've read. Verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then in verse 16, as he's explaining how all this has happened, he says in verse 16, And his name, Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health, in the presence of you all. But this is more than just about a healing. The name of Jesus, it's not just about healing one person in the name of Jesus. P Peter now begins to preach the gospel. And the gospel is all about placing our faith in the name of Jesus. Placing our hope, our trust 
in the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, the key verse for this whole section is Acts chapter 4, verse 12, which we'll get to. Uh, I don't know if we'll be getting there next week, but in the next few weeks we'll eventually get there. It says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one name. There's only one name that has the power to save. But what's, the, what's this about a name? Why is a name so important? So I want to look at the name of Jesus this morning, and, and I want to do a little... Uh, experiment, and so I'm going to need the kids helping me out here to kind of do a marketing experiment here, all right? I have two sodas. I have two sodas here. Okay, who wants to drink a soda? Now, the parents are giving me evil eyes. All right, soda. Now, who would, who would rather drink this one? Victoria, all right? Who would rather drink this one? Why? I mean, what's the difference between the two? Oh, Ross raised his hand. Okay. Who would rather, this one, okay, this one you recognize more than this one, right? This is, uh, what is this? Big K Cola. Sounds wonderful. Okay, and this is Coca-Cola. And the important thing that Coke has done for many, many years is that they've established their name. It's probably the most recognizable a name of any company in the world. You can go anywhere in the world and you see billboards that say Coca-Cola, soccer teams have it emblazoned across their shirts, and, and it's just everywhere. Okay, so Coke, Coca-Cola company, has spent a lot of time and money making their name famous. But no one's ever heard of Big K Cola, all right? As a matter of fact, Big K Cola is kind of a knockoff. It's an imitation brand. It's the generic brand from Kroger, okay? Now, they've they, see what they've done, though? They've used the same colors and kind of even have some cursive going on there. And okay, these, these imitation brands try to look as much as they can like the real name so that you'll buy it. And as we just did marketing research here, and I'll go ahead and send Coke our results, our marketing research showed only one out of maybe 20 are willing to buy Big K Cola over Coca-Cola. But is it really that big of a deal? Let's find out. All right. Um, all right, Victoria, would you like to do a blind taste test for me? All right. Because you don't know which one I've poured. Ugh, let's see here if I can get to these. All right, in a new building, we've got to have a place for me to put my illustrations. All right. And um, which one did I grab? Okay. Okay, come here, Victoria. All right. You don't know which one's which. I think I do. So I want you to taste this one and then taste this one and tell me which one's the famous name, Coca-Cola, and which one's just the Big K Kroger Cola, all right? And since you prefer Big K, you should be able to tell. All right, go ahead. Hmm? All right, got that taste in your mouth? Good. Now taste this one. All right, which one's which? Which, this one's, the first one is what? And the second one is Coca-Cola? No. Actually, the first one was Coca-Cola, and the second one was Big K. See, the name's not all that important, is it? It's really, okay, actually the name is important, I should say, because basically when you get down to it, it all tastes about the same, doesn't it? All right. Now, um, why don't you have a seat? And I don't think these, these have been open for a while. I would let you have it. Uh, go ahead. All right. No, you like, which one did you like better? 
You like big cake. Go ahead. All right, Carol, you can thank me later. All right. Okay. I'm going to set that right there. Ross, you can have the Coke when we're done. All right. The name is important. The name. You know what? There's a lot of imitation Jesuses out there. You don't have to go far. You don't have to read very many books to see there's a lot of imitation Jesuses out there today. Okay, people will say a lot of things about who Jesus is. Some of it's true. Some of it's false. Some of it's only partially true. But the fact of the matter is we have to understand who Jesus is if we're really going to be able to place our faith in his name. And why, again, is a name so important? Well, in Jewish thought, okay, the name... The name was more than just something to identify or to distinguish someone from someone else. A name carried with it the very essence of who that person is, who that person was. Okay, today, we don't, we don't really use names that way that much. Okay, my name means crown. Does anybody here, any kids know what your name means? Jenna, what does your name mean? means Albert? What? What? Little bird. Hey, that kind of fits. All right. All right, so, so names have meanings, but you know what? In, in, for the Jewish person, it was very important what their name was meant also who, what their character was all about. So when, when in the Bible, when you read about placing our faith in someone's name or in Jesus' name or in God's name, you're putting your hope and your trust in the very character and essence and nature of who that person is. So to place our faith in Jesus' name is to trust in his very person. But also, we know that the Bible says, and Deemer's been teaching this in his class back there in the back, is that we are created to be God's image bearers. We are to image God. We're to carry his image. That's we were created in the image of God. Yet sin has tainted our ability to be God's image bearers. But the great thing about when you receive Jesus Christ, you're made a new creation. And once again, we can carry that torch and be those image bearers the way we should be as we're being made new, as we're being recreated in the likeness of Christ. And it's a process of sanctification, of us becoming more like Christ. But every day, we should become more and more an image bearer of God. And therefore, we also carry his name with us. The name Christian has the word Christ in it because we carry his name. His name has been written upon our head, upon our forehead, upon our hands. And we know that we belong to him. So doing something in the name of Jesus is also doing it in the power and the authority of Jesus. You know, if I tell Olivia to go upstairs and tell Noah to clean his room, and she goes up there and says, you know, knocks on the door and says, Noah, clean your room, he's probably going to say, forget you. But if I say, Olivia, go tell Noah that daddy told him to clean his room, and she goes up there and knocks on the door and says, Noah, daddy wants you to clean the room. Well, what she said now has a whole lot more authority behind it. There's authority in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. It's kind of like what I mentioned last week. Um, you know, a presidential spokesman, the, whatever the guy is that talks to the press so the president doesn't have to. Um, you know, what's the guy's name? Robert Gibbs, I think is his name. The press secretary, yeah. So Robert Gibbs stands up there and talks to the press and has the little logo that says President of the United States, but he's not the President of the United States. He represents the President of the United States, and therefore he can speak for the President of the United States, but he's not that guy. But he has the authority and the power of the name of President Obama behind him when he speaks. And so when we do something in the name of Jesus, it's not only trusting in his character and his person, it's also believing in the very power and presence of Jesus 
with us. And so the name is important. Now here Peter begins to preach the gospel. He begins to preach the gospel and he wants them to understand that the only way that you can be right with God is if you have faith in the name of Jesus. So as he begins to preach the gospel, he actually gives us in this passage four names of Jesus. So that's what I want us to focus on today. And then we'll pick up with the rest of the passage next week. But what I want to focus on today is the four names that Peter gives us for Jesus so that we understand that faith in Jesus means faith in at least these four things. And anything less than these four things is insufficient. So what I want us to see this morning, if I can get to it, can you all get me to my, oh, there's Coke. I was going to use those pictures, and obviously I didn't. Faith in Jesus' name means faith in Jesus as First of all, a humble servant. Faith in Jesus' name means faith in Jesus as a humble servant. Acts 3, verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant. Now, servants were not highly viewed in Jesus' day. Okay, in the, in the order of the bottom rung of society, you had women, children, and then slaves and servants. That was the bottom echelon of society. And so they weren't highly viewed in Jesus' day. Servants aren't highly viewed in our day. I mean, how many people really aspire to be uh, a trash collector and to do a service job for other people? Oh, I just can't wait to grow up and start picking up people's trash for them. That's usually what, not, what, we, what we aspire to. That's not the way we're wired. Or how many of you, when you watch the football games on TV, you're sitting there watching the water boy, going, oh, man, I just wish I could be the water. Did you see the way he gave that Gatorade to the quarterback? Man, that was awesome. Oh, they just threw a towel on his head. Wow, I want to be that guy. Nobody wants to be that guy. Everybody wants to be the star quarterback because we're not wired that way. We're wired to want to dominate. We're wired to go to the top, to climb the ladder, get to the top, be on the top of the food chain. We're wired to overcome. And Jesus came down to the bottom rung of society to be a servant. He came to be God's servant. The book of Isaiah refers to our Messiah, Jesus, as God's servant. So Jewish listeners, when they hear him, hear Peter say, this is God's servant, their minds, if they knew their scripture, would have gone back to Isaiah chapter 53 and Isaiah chapter 52 and part of Isaiah chapter 43, and they would have seen, oh yes, this is God's servant. Specifically, he came to be, in those passages, a suffering servant. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Part of the reason he was despised and we esteemed him not is because he came as a servant, as the lowest form in society. And Jesus not only came as God's servant, he came to be an example for us to be servants. In John chapter, three, verse, um, John chapter 13, there's this beautiful picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. You remember the story. He comes in. He takes a slave's posture. He puts on a slave's garment. He picks up the, a basin, something similar to this, probably not this elegant, and takes it and begins to do a slave's job in washing the feet of these disciples who had been traveling and these muddy, dirty, ugly feet, and they don't want him, Peter didn't even want to let him do it, but Jesus says, no, you have to let me do this. And then he says to them to go and do the same thing. In other words, be servants. 
And so what Peter wants them to see here as he's preaching this passage is that Jesus came to be a servant, to be a slave, matter of fact. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 7. This is what it says. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to. But instead, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That word servant actually can be translated slave. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, 28, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is our Messiah. This is our Jesus, a servant. Faith in his name is faith in one who came as God's suffering, despised, and lowly servant, and as one who came to serve others. But that's only part of the picture. It's only part of the picture that Peter paints here. Because the next thing he says, next thing we see, is that faith in Jesus' name means faith in Jesus as our only deliverer. Look again at verse 13. Okay, it says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant. And then he says, Jesus. He glorified his servant, Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Of course, obviously, the most common name for Jesus in the Bible is the name Jesus. Okay, but it wasn't just like, you know, Mary and Joseph just decided, you know what, Jesus really rings well. I like that. That really sounds good. How about you, Joe? Do you like that? Okay, no, they were told by the angel to give him the name Jesus. Therefore, the name Jesus itself bears very important significance to us. The name Jesus actually means Savior or Deliverer. It's the Greek form of the, word, of the name Joshua, which literally means the Lord is our salvation. So it means Savior or Deliverer. And the deliverance he brought was not what the Jews had expected. They expected some sort of deliverance from political oppression or for, from social injustice. And what Jesus came to do was to deliver us from something much more oppressive, which is the sin that entangles each and every one of us. The sin that we all deserve to die for. Jesus came to be our deliverer and set us free from the oppression of sin and self and Satan. If Jesus is only a suffering servant and we don't view him as a deliverer, then we have an insufficient view of Jesus. You see, one of the things that really concerns me today is this view of Jesus, even within the church, as he's just a good moral example to us. And he just did some great social ministries. And he did some great things that promote social justice. And therefore, we as a church should take up the banner and be like Jesus and fight for social justice and fight for equality all over the world. You know what? I agree with that. We should. But if your view of Jesus is limited to that only, it's a way insufficient view of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't just some Mother Teresa and Bono mixed together, which is the kind of the way people look at Jesus today. He was really cool. He was hip. Jesus is my homeboy. Seen the t-shirts? He's really cool. He's really hip. He's all into social justice. He's kind of like Bono. I bet he had a guitar when he was on the earth, right? And that's kind of the way people look at Jesus and say, yeah, that's cool. I want to be that. But if you stop right there and you don't go farther and say that Jesus, yes, he did all those things, but, I don't know if he played guitar, but he did all those things, he served and he suffered for people, but he did more than that. He came to be a deliverer from sin. Because when you get to that part of Jesus, it gets messy. 
Because all of a sudden you have to start talking about something called wrath. And that is that God hates sin. He hates it. He cannot tolerate sin. Why? Because he's perfect. And if God is perfect, not even one single slightest sin can be acceptable to him. And it deserves an eternal punishment and wrath. And God is just in doing that. Matter of fact, it shows us God's justice. Is it just if a judge, if a judge is in his courtroom and they bring a murderer in, and the judge says, you know what? You really, you're all clean cut now. You got a suit on for the for the whole court case. And I, you know what? I just just go ahead. Go free. Would anybody think that that judge is a just judge? No. That judge. His character has now been impugned because he is shown to be insufficient to be a real judge. And so we can't just have this view that Jesus came and, okay, he did a bunch of good stuff, and he did, and that God's just going to let us all off the hook. The fact of the matter is we deserve hell and wrath, eternal. And Jesus came to deliver us from that by himself going in our place and being that sacrifice. He was holy, he's perfect, and we'll get to that next. Holy and perfect. And God poured out his wrath upon Jesus to pay the price of all the sins of those who put their faith in him. And that is what Jesus did. And that is what the Bible says about Jesus. John MacArthur, a pastor out in California, writes this. He says, there have been many false views of Jesus throughout history. From noble example to political revolutionary, yet to imagine Jesus who is not the Savior, remember, that's what his name means. To imagine Jesus who is not the Savior is as foolish as to imagine Shakespeare who was not a writer, or Rembrandt who was not a painter. His name is Jesus, not because he's our example, guide, leader, or friend, though he is all those things. His name is Jesus because he is our Savior, our Deliverer. This is our Messiah, our Deliverer. Faith in his name is faith in one who came to be God's suffering servant. But that's not enough. We must also believe that Jesus came to be our Deliverer from sin. But he can only be our Deliverer from sin if we truly believe, number three, and that is that he is perfection personified. Verse 14 says, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One. So there's the next title that Peter uses for Jesus the holy and righteous one, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. A little background here if you're unfamiliar with what that means. If you, if you recall or if you know the passage where the scripture where Jesus is, where his trial is going on, this really this, this uh, perfect example of injustice in human hands, and Jesus is, is being tried, and, and Pilate comes out and says, hey, it's tradition to release a prisoner during the festivities. And he brings out Barabbas, who is an insurrectionist and a murderer. And then there's Jesus, and they want Barabbas. And they say, hey, no, you keep Jesus, crucify him. We'll take the murderer. We'll take Barabbas. So that's what that passage is referring to. But the passage, the title here that Peter uses for Jesus is holy and righteous one. Jesus was that perfect man who never sinned. Thus only he is qualified to come before God. Jesus is holy, set apart, and righteous, perfect, and innocent before God. He can't be our deliverer and our savior if he isn't perfect. So if, let's go down the list here. Let's say you think, well, you know, Jesus was a great moral example and a great servant. So yes, I believe that about Jesus. 
You know, I even believe that he came to save me from my sins. Yeah, I believe that. But you know what? I really just, I don't think he, he was perfect. Then it all derails at that point. Because he can't be your deliverer if he wasn't perfect. It's impossible. And so, he was perfect. Simon Peter himself would later say in 1 Peter 2, 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so he is our deliverer. Peter said during Jesus' earthly ministry in John chapter 6, verse 68, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed that you have, we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter, he proclaims this here, that Jesus is this perfect, holy, righteous one, and that what, that's what makes him able to be our deliverer. So this is our Messiah, holy and righteous. Faith in his name means faith in one who came as God's servant, suffered for us. Faith in the one who was our deliverer from sin, and that deliverance is based upon his perfection. Therefore, we must have faith in those truths about Jesus, but we also must recognize the fourth point here. Faith in Jesus' name means faith in Jesus as life-giving God. Verse 15, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. A good Jewish man listening to this in the temple at Solomon's portico, only one person could be called author of life. It was Yahweh, God, only God's author of life. So when Peter says, you killed the author of life, he's saying what you did is that you killed God. Jesus is God. To the Jews listening, they knew when Peter said this what he was talking about. Friends, this has to be part of the equation. He's more than just the suffering servant of God. He is our deliverer. He is a perfect man, but he's also God. An orthodox view of Jesus is that he's 100% man and he's 100% God. And if you believe and you diminish either one of those two percentages, then you've thrown out Jesus completely. 100% man, 100% God. He was the one who was able to come and to give life. He was the one who created life. John 1 verses 3 through 4 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in other words, there's a category of things called things made. And there's not anything in that category of things made that was not made by Jesus. In other words, he wasn't ever made. He was never created. He's always been there. He's the author of life. He's the alpha, the omega. Jesus has always existed. He's the one who created life. The next verse in that very passage says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. He also gives eternal life. He says in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. This is our Messiah. This is our Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, co-equal with God the Father, Jesus, Lord, God. When Thomas, remember doubting Thomas, didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the grave, I don't know where he was when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. I've always wondered, what was Thomas doing? Okay, apparently he was out for something. But he comes back, he's doubting. Jesus appears to him. And Thomas falls on his knees when Jesus appears to him and says this, My Lord, my God. 
There's those out there today, like I said, don't settle for a counterfeit Jesus. There's plenty of people that want to tell you, well, Jesus was you know, this great servant. And some people even say, yeah, he died for your sins and he lived a perfect life. He was the best human being ever. But God? Are you serious? And people want to deny his divinity. Well, the moment Thomas saw him, he said, my Lord, my God. He is God. He is Lord. He's Yahweh. He's the second person in the Trinity. It's insufficient if we, if we see him as Savior, but not as God. To have faith in his name is to have faith in his whole character. All of what the Bible has to say about him, without omitting anything, to believe any less than that about Jesus of the Bible is to believe, is to believe in Jesus in a Jesus that's less than sufficient to save you. You saw the video earlier today with all the names popping up. We have to believe the whole, believe in the name of Jesus is to believe in his whole character, who he is. So, I honestly believe this. To deny even a portion of what the Bible says about Jesus is to deny him fully. To deny even the littlest portion about what the Bible says about who Jesus is, is to deny him fully. So, the choice is out there. You either embrace Accept, place your faith in, place your hope in, place every ounce of your being in the name, the character, the whole character of what the Bible says Jesus is, or you don't. It's that simple. You either do or you don't. You can't pick and choose. I like, I like a homeboy Jesus, I like a Bono Jesus, but I don't like a Jesus who bloodied on the cross and died for me and absorbed God's wrath. I don't like that. You don't get to pick and choose, friends. We either accept him and embrace him fully, or you reject him fully. It's your choice. The way the world sees Jesus today is just a Jesus of our own making. And oh, how we need grace to open our eyes. Oh, man, some of this may be hard to accept. You know, 100% God, 100% man. I don't get that, Steve, because that adds up to 200% to me. All right, so that doesn't make sense. All right, you know what? There's things about the Trinity. There's things about the Incarnation. There's glorious mysteries about God's sovereignty. You know what? The Bible tells us a lot about it, and we can grow in our understanding and our faith in that. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of it we just have to embrace in faith and trust that God knows what he's doing, and he did it in a way that blows our little bitty minds right outside of our heads because we cannot begin to grasp what he does. I mean, just compare, I mean, you don't need anything else other than look at a little baby. Is there a baby in here? There's a baby. Just look at a little baby and say, this baby can't understand what we're doing. So if you take this baby to the doctor, the doctor begins to poke and prod at the baby. The baby's thinking, why on earth are you doing this? The baby can't understand marriage. The baby can't understand relationships, can't understand love yet. The baby can't understand any of this stuff yet. But you know what? It doesn't mean none of that exists. It just means that your concepts and your brain is much bigger than the baby's brain. And one day that baby will get to a point where it can understand these things. But you know what? God's distance between his mind and our mind is infinitely greater than the distance between you and a baby. Therefore, who are we to complain that we can't quite get it all? That's what faith is about. Placing our faith in the name of Jesus. But we have to ask for God to do a work in us. We've got to have grace. God opening these eyes, these blind eyes, these deaf ears to hear and to see what it is he wants to do in us. 
I love the contrast that Peter draws in this passage. Look at the contrast between the people and their actions in Jesus. This is why we need grace. Look at the people. They despised. Isaiah tells us they despised this servant. But what does God do? God exalts and glorifies his servant Jesus. They delivered their deliverer over to Pilate. And in doing so, Jesus became their deliverer if they'll place their faith in him. Not only that, we read here that they exchanged the holy righteous one for a murderer. They exchanged the perfect son of God for a murderer. And finally, the most ironic one of all is that they killed the author of life. You see the contrast that Peter's drawing here? Here's what you did, and don't for a minute think, well, that's just those people back then. Peter's speaking to us today as much as he was speaking to the Jews then because our sin is what killed Jesus. And you know what? We despise Jesus just like they did. We delivered him over because of our sin just like they did. We would rather have a murderer. We'd rather embrace sin that embrace the holy and righteous one. And we, our own sin, put the nails through the hands of Jesus. We killed the author of life. Therefore, it's nothing that we can undo. It's only what God's grace can do in us. And so we need, we need to recognize this morning this contrast between Jesus and our sinfulness. Jesus' character, his name, and ours. Oh, how we must fall on our faces before God, before this Jesus, before this one who suffered for us. Fall on our faces before this one who it wants to be our deliverer. Fall on our faces before this holy and righteous God, this author, creator, God Almighty, the beginning and the end. And place all of our hope and our faith and our trust in him. Because there's no other way. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory. The name of Jesus is the glory of Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because in Jesus, God shows his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the scripture makes it clear that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, so that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And when it's all said and done, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be any more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, or any more, for the former things have passed away. This is our Jesus. This is our Lord. 
That's what faith in Jesus is. To place our hope that he's all these things and infinitely more. Infinitely more. Do you believe in the name of Jesus this morning? Please don't settle for an imitation. Big K Cola honestly isn't as good as Coca-Cola. I promise. And the imitation Jesus will not satisfy you. It may be cool. It may be trendy. And it may feel good for a moment. But in the end, when death is at your door, it will not satisfy you. And it will accomplish nothing. Place your hope and your faith in the real thing this morning. I want to conclude with a beautiful picture here of this, what this whole story paints for us. If you, if you read the whole passage, as we did earlier, there's this man sitting outside the temple. He's lame from birth. He's about 40 years old. He can't go in the temple. The temple represents the presence of God. He can't go into the temple because he's lame. He's imperfect. And the Bible says that when they raised him up and he was healed, the very next phrase it says is they went into the temple. What a beautiful picture because that's us. We're outside of the presence of God because of our sin. We've all fallen short of the being able to be with God. We can't do it. I don't care how many good deeds you do. You can't do it. We can't be with God. And we need Jesus and faith in the name of Jesus to heal us to make us whole before God again, forgiven of our sins, and we, be, we are given the righteousness of Christ, and therefore we can enter in and be with Christ forever. That's the picture here that we see in this story. And so this morning, I want to invite you. I don't know the condition. A lot of people can play Christian games. You can play that all you want to. You can show up on Sunday. You can carry a Bible. You can make it the thickest Bible of anybody in the church and carry it with you. And listen to the fish and put the fish on the back of your car and do all the Christian-y things. And it means nothing if you haven't placed your faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And so you can fool me this morning, but you can't fool Jesus because he knows where your hope resides. Does your hope reside in you or does your, all your hope reside in him? So I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as Mark begins to Get ready to lead us in two more songs here, a time of response. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this is a time to respond for everybody. Everybody in this room should respond when the Bible is preached. But there's different types of responses. Some of us may just want to put a prayer request down and respond by bringing our prayer request up during the next song. There's also an offering plate up here that if you feel God leading you to give to our church, then you go and you put it in that offering plate. That's a time of response. But also a response might be something you just need to get right with God. You just need to get right with God. Maybe you're here and you've done some things this week and you just don't feel like you're walking with God. But if your response this morning is just that you need this Jesus, you need this name, you need faith in this name, then come this morning. Come this morning and respond. I'm going to be over to the side if somebody wants to come talk with me. You may just want to respond by filling out the card in your seat and say, hey, I've made a decision for Jesus today. And just put it up there in the offering plate, either after the service or during this time of response. But this is a time for all of us to respond. So let me pray, and then Mark lead us in a couple of songs. Heavenly Father, right now I believe with all my heart
that you have a work you want to do. And every single person in this room, every child, every adult, you have a work you want to do. And God, we can either stiff arm you and put our hand out to your face and say, get away. Or we can put our hands down and put our head down and come to our knees and say, whatever you want, Jesus. You want me to put my hope in you, my faith in you? I'll do it. So God, I pray that you'd move in this group here this morning, each and every one of us in a very real and special way as we sing a couple songs and as we have a time for everyone to respond. Lord, you are a mighty God, mighty to save. God, we can do nothing to earn your salvation. All we can do is submit to you and let you do a work in our heart. So God, as we sing right now, I pray that you'd move in our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone here that would like to talk to me, God, I pray that you'd move in their heart to do that this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just be honored in everything we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand if you would as we have this time to respond.